1: Pause your word counts and enjoy. Lumberjackula is the story of Jack, who is a half vampire, half lumberjack kid. Can't decide which of his parents' old schools he wants to attend because he really doesn't want to go to either. He's worried of disappointing either side, even though they've been positive, figuring if he accepts one side of himself, he is then putting down the other side. But the truth is, he doesn't want to go to either. He wants to go to a dance academy, and that is where he finds his strength. The story kind of came together, honestly, from the title, which has never happened to me before with anything. But I just really liked it and liked the idea of a character who is a child, especially who is called Lumberjackula, seemed really cute to me. So I started there. And then very early on, I found my collaborator, Sam Owen, online, just had some great samples up there. And I had seen some friends who were established in the industry were like, hey, this guy's good. And yeah, thankfully got him on right away. And I'm so happy with the result because I could not imagine making the book with anyone else.
0: So you found your illustrator on the internet. How did you do that?
1: (laughs) I did. Yeah, yeah. So I've been doing comics for a while and as a writer doing comics, finding a collaborator is a very specific skill that you really need to hone over time. And I'm active in communities of comic creators. So you see people funny enough, for whatever reason, Twitter is still where people hang out for it. Seems like Instagram would make way more sense, but Twitter is where it is. So a lot of how I find people is finding if they're working with similar level publishers as me or or doing web comics, that's a big way to find people. Because if you find people doing web comics, you see them updating regularly, you can see, oh, this person can actually do what we're about to do, which is a 150, 200 page book, which requires some serious skills. So there's only so many people out there who really can handle that. But Sam was a very unique case where Sam hadn't done really anything large scale. He had never done a bigger project, but it was so clear his storytelling was so strong from just some sequential samples, that's a big thing to always look for when you're looking for a collaborator, not just they're a great illustrator because there's so many great illustrators out there, but with graphic novels, they need to be able to really tell a story sequence and do that sort of storytelling. And if someone doesn't have those examples, they probably are not going to be able to handle a book that size.
0: So, is there a hashtag, or you just type in my best next collaborator?
1: <laughs> there is no real hashtag that I know of to search, but it helps to be immersive in it. And you really have to search to find the right folks. But I think finding mid level publishers, people who are publishing with that, and then looking on things like Webtoons or Tapas are popular web cartoon sites.
0: Do you read us your first page and talk to us about it?
1: Absolutely. So, you start off. In faraway forest at Jack's house it says, you're 11 and a half today. I can't believe it. Our little man is aging out of underschool and about to depart for his final day. Where have the days gone? I still remember changing your little diapers like it was yesterday. Gross. I'm going to school. It's quite cold out. Don't forget your overcoat, Jacula. Oh, don't baby the boy. Jack's tough. He'll be just fine in his flannel. Later, mom and dad. So that's just the first page. It's brief, but it's setting up the dilemma that Jack has throughout his story, which is he feels a constant pull to be tough like his mom or embrace his vampire side like his dad would wear a coat. His mom would not. And he doesn't know where to stand in that. And one of the important things for me with the book in general was that even parents who are really accepting and really positive and really like go after whatever you want, there's still a pressure that a lot of us put on our kids, not on purpose. If my daughter or son is drawing or doing something that I really like, I do get more excited. They see it. They feel it. They feel my energy when I'm like really embracing that. And I'm gonna get them every comic they want because I want them to read comics. And they feel that. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to embrace if they want to play football. Of course I am, but I feel like a lot of the idea of it started with this idea of I am putting expectations on, even if They're positive and well-meaning. I still am putting this pressure on my kids, which I don't want to (laughs) want them to be themselves.
0: How do you deal with a topic that has the kind of resonance that keeps coming back to us throughout our lives, right? Like probably every decade or so, each of us is, wait a second, let me think about my identity. How do you deal with something that resonates for adults in that way? And we see it one way and your character is seeing it from this young perspective. How do you put all of that together on the page so that kids can get it? It doesn't feel like a huge like download for them, but it still resonates.
1: I think honestly, that's a larger question of like how I am definitely meant to be doing books for middle school or younger age kids. I'm not saying I think simply, but I kind of do. I have a very simple way of explaining things usually, and I view stories a lot of times through that lens. So I'm not necessarily having to change too much of how i want to say things cuz it is how i it is how i say things normally but how the message comes through hopefully not heavy hitting that's really the big thing always right cuz like they smell it a mile away. They smell it really strong. I think it even stronger in comics and graphic novels. I feel like it's just right there. If you're trying to hammer that in, there's lumberjack characters. It's all puns and funny. So hopefully it comes through in a positive way. But a definite challenge for this book was like, it's all internal. All of the conflict is with Jack and himself. There's no villain. There's no one he's up against, which thankfully I feel like we pulled off, but hopefully everyone else agrees. <laughs>
0: Do you think there's more leeway for internal conflict in books that come with illustrations?
1: I think so, because a lot of these moments that may have honestly felt boring in prose or been very short, like some moments can get pulled out in timing wise in graphic novels, but these moments that could be boring or not moving the story forward, Sam, the artist, is drawing these wonderful illustrations. He's bringing so much of it to life, and there's so much happening in the background with characters. A lot of What happens is Lumberjackula Jack works out his feelings in dance. If he's feeling a certain way, there'll be a dance scene and the song's lyrics will somewhat reflect what he's feeling at that time. And I think that's a really visual way to show someone working out things that hopefully still keeps people entertained because there'll be funny moves within it too.
2: That's really true. I think that kind of like resonates on the level of how in novel manuscripts, we always talk about giving your readers room to sit with the character and really be in that moment. And I think if you have a story that doesn't really have like a villain, you have to find other ways to give them room to sit with the character. And that can be a little more difficult in a novel manuscript versus a comic or a graphic novel, where, like you said, the artist is able to take on that side of things and literally give them space on the page.
1: For sure. For sure. Yeah. Pacing in graphic novels is also just one of the, like the great joys of it and why I don't believe that it will ever not be dominantly print. Hopefully books are always print, but if the change is to happen, I still feel that page turn in comics is such a giant way of control of story that you don't have in a prose story. You don't turn a page in a prose book and then instantly get the reveal, usually. But comics, that's what it all happens, though.
2: So what makes a great graphic novel and how did you learn to make one?
1: What makes a great graphic novel is definitely leading visually. There's many great comics that are really simple concepts. I mean, Raina Telgemeier's Smile, you wouldn't think of as the most visual story in the world. But man, if those expressions that she just so beautifully draws don't actually sell that entire story everything is in the way that she draws herself and all the other characters but how i got into it is when i was like really young watched batman the animated series x-men and i went right to comics i'm dyslexic and i learned to read from calvin and Hobbes and just comics in general. And it was like, everyone else had their goosebumps and they'd be able to finish them, but I was never going to be able to finish it. Certainly not in the time that everyone else was. So I felt a big sense of accomplishment from like, I can finish these Calvin and Hobbes books because smaller blocks of text in these word balloons and context clues along with the story of all the visuals really helped me become a much better reader. But I just never did not not make comics. I just kept on doing it afterwards. For a while I played in bands. And I would make like zines and always have comics as part of that. So self-taught for sure on everything, but lots of years of being (laughs) self-taught.
0: I did love Calvin and Hobbes too. I thought it was so funny how Hobbes had his alternate personality where he would come through and he'd be like so fierce jumping toward Calvin when he came in through the door.
1: It's genius. It's just so brilliant. And it's like kind of modern day equivalent is a book called uh, Phoebe and the Unicorn, which is uh, obviously it's not Calvin and Hobbes, but it has the same spirit very much. It's a really great book.
0: So let's go back to the beginning. You were, did you start with graphic novels? You did. You didn't
1: Um, I've never written prose, no.
0: Oh, okay. So you're starting out, you're writing graphic novels. How did you get them ready to submit to agents? And how did that go? And how did you find your agent in this amazing book deal and your great editor and all of this other stuff? How did it all happen? And if you could tell it in such a way that the listeners think it could happen exactly like that for them too, perhaps that would be an added bonus.
1: Cool. So my start in comics was self-publishing. I did, funny enough, one of the first Kickstarters for comics. My brother told me about it right when the site was launching and I was able to fund my first comic. Then I did some work with some smaller publishers. And then I would say my next kind of break was there's a publisher called Oni Press that had open submissions and it was a contest almost. And I got in through that which then allowed me to get to really know how to make comics because I learned so much from my first experience working with an actual publisher editors and all of that. Then something called pit mad that I found out of on the day that it was happening in the last hour. And I was like, oh, this looks good. It would really make sense for graphic novels for people who might not know, but pit mad was, I don't believe it's still happening, but it was something that happened on Twitter that you would just write the log line of your story with some hashtags and for graphic novels, an image to a company. And then agents will like it saying query me. I did that last minute and a decent amount of agents actually asked for me to send along a query, which was really awesome because it was the easiest query ever because I did not do the query letter thing that everyone else has done. I didn't learn like all the ins and outs of it. I just spoke very naturally about these are the books I have. This is the book I want to do. Here's my pitch that I already had prepared for smaller, more traditional comic companies and had some pages and samples ready. So I was definitely ready when the time came for it, but I had phone calls with three of the agents and got offered representation by two of them, but I had already decided on my agent, Maria Vicente, who is amazing. And then part of that actually is Sam, the artist also got rep by Maria. But then we put the book on submission, which was so exciting and so different from when I did it all myself. It did well at places, was going to acquisitions at a couple places. And some people moved around to different companies and then we thankfully ended up at Simon Schuster Books for Younger Readers. It was really cool. It was like such a great process. One thing that was really interesting about it was the notes, which I think every person who's on submission or about to be should really take in. Look at the curve. Look at the average, because the notes were all over the place. Some people loved that Lumberjackula had a beard. Some people were like, "A kid can't have a beard. That's ridiculous. This is stupid." Some people were like, "The book's got to be called Jackula, Lumberjackula. That doesn't make sense." These are points of what make the DNA of the story and. These are people who really know what they're doing, who are giving notes, but just our tastes do not align. It's very easy to be really sensitive and be hurt by those things. But I'm learning now that you look at the average, if everyone's saying the same thing, okay, that's something I need to actually look into. If one person out of the 10 editors who are seeing it, then... That's okay. Goodreads. People have ideas too. I don't listen to them.
0: (laughs) That makes so much sense. I'm always telling writers not to panic if one person says something. And so I really appreciate you saying that. I've heard that in math, it's not a pattern until there are three data points. And so I think that's generally a good way to go about rejections and feedback too.
1: For sure, and certainly be willing to take feedback. I'm 100% certain that's why I'm making books and will continue to make books is that I listen to the feedback and I want to collaborate and listen to other folks' ideas. Like, I think that a big mistake is like, it is definitely this and it is definitely this way and it is my way, especially when you're working in graphic novels and you are not the sole creator. Like, it, it does not just say Matt Haggerty above lumberjackula It also says Sam Owen because it is our book. So being understanding that you really need to collaborate with an artist and understanding, certainly the lion's share of the work that falls on them, like tons and tons of the work for graphic novels is on that artist working on a book for possibly two years and really working on it. Cause there's a lot of drawings and every page. So I try and really always think of the artist at every stage because I know what I'm asking them to do <laughs> and. I certainly know what I'm asking him to do when I ask him to draw a crowded cafeteria or something like that.
2: (laughs) Food fight! (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. like such an easy thing for me to write. I can write food fight in a cafeteria and that would be a nightmare to have to draw.
0: (laughs) But that must feel like a magical power. You get to write anything and then soon you'll get to see it.
1: Oh, it's unreal and I couldn't imagine it would ever get old. Like you get in art at different stages of the process from very rough to refined. You get in the inbox and you're like, oh my gosh, it's real. I'm lucky in that I've been careful in selecting who I work with and really made sure. And I work with amazing folks who like are so talented. It's cool.
0: Does Sam ever write things back to you? Like Matt, absolutely not. Change this. I'm not drawing that.
1: He hasn't. Actually, none of my collaborators have. But I also have a thing that I write in the beginning of every script. That's like, this is a roadmap, not a mandate. Like I'm working with you because I trust you. And I know that you know what you're doing. So if I have a page broken down to be seven panels and you're like, that's crazy. It's just two panels. Like it doesn't need this or Jack doesn't need to be on a bike. He can be on a scooter. there's many points like that. Obviously I'm here to tell the story. So I still have care and want to tell the story a certain way, but I definitely have learned to let my collaborators have fun because it's always better. It's always so much better when you have someone like leaning into what they want to do and excited to draw what they want to draw.
0: Can you tell us about a surprise in some of the artwork when you got it back?
1: There's one character called the manateen who's like a manatee and a teenager. And he's also like this kind of sage advice throughout it. I knew it would be funny. And I like the character so much that if we get to make another book, he's going to be like way up front. I'm pushing him like way in there. Sometimes designs just being like so much better than I had envisioned, make the character then come alive more, make their voice clearer and make you want to use them more. I'd say that happened with that. And also his grandpa, both characters, they were in my mind, but now they're a core part of the story.
0: I love the idea of art clarifying voice. Can you talk more about that?
1: It's so hard because so much of it is our collective voice, I've loved everyone i work with, but there's artists I've worked with who I really gel with. And it is so clear that we are on the same wavelength fully, like we're making the same choices, although they're doing it much better than I would, but we have the same story sensibility and it's so clear when you link up with those people. Sam is certainly one of those people where I feel like if I could, I would continue making books with Sam endlessly because it just is right. <laughs>
0: I think you were talking about it with character. It's so interesting because you could think of the dialogue for one character as being a lot of things. It could be sarcastic. It could not be sarcastic. It could be bouncy and fun or not. And depending on how the character is drawn, it will help shape our interpretation of that dialogue too, which is really interesting.
1: Oh yeah. I tend to be drawn to artists who of course can do action, but whose like cartooning style really can emote because. You can sell a line so much more. Dialogue can come across really rough, even if it's good, if coupled with stiff faces that are hard to read what's happening on them. But if you have someone who can really like make that moment feel huge, that you are writing as huge, it's big.
0: Almost like the actors delivering lines of a script.
1: Big time. I certainly call character acting a lot like other character acting is like really good. And it is such a tough skill to come by there's so many people who do comics and who are really great at these big action scenes but that tends to not be the stories that I like to tell usually I like to tell more weird but grounded it's my special spot
2: weird (laughs) but grounded I love (laughs) can you talk a little bit about how you approach artist notes you were talking about working with artists and how you have to gel really on a certain level to have the same thought process and what is going on the page. And so I think a lot of that can possibly come from the way in which somebody delivers artist notes. So do you mind talking about how you go about doing that?
1: Sure, so it's been a long time since I've been the one directly sending them because usually what happens is there is now editors and art director in the case of Simon & Schuster. I actually was pretty hands off. It was very much like picture book type style a little different from what I had experienced with some of the mid-level comic publishers I work with. I of course knew Sam already and I brought him in. So I was not kept separate from him like that, but it was like, I had my editor, he had his art director. They went off and made the book. I certainly was part of that. Like Sam would send me things, but with that, there was no notes. But to get to your, your question, when I actually do, there's books I'm working on now that I'm working on with other publishers that I do give artist notes tends to be Usually my editor will give the bulk of them, I'll look through and see what's there. I'm lucky right now, one of the people I'm working with, there's no notes and I just never have had this happen, but they're crazy good. But a lot of it, I tend to not be nitpicky. I think that's really important. It's like, is this actually going to affect the story? In the beginning, I wouldn't say things even when I was worried. Now I have no fear saying it. It's like, all right, that character needs to be switched or else it's not going to make any sense in a second. But I'd love to be an editor. It seems so fun, like going through kind of the problem solving that's part of it, but yeah.
0: (laughs) Can you talk about some of the problem solving? What kind of problems come up throughout the process?
1: Sure. Some common ones that don't necessarily happen a lot with the folks that I'm working with, but that are really common problems in comics is overcrowding a panel that's going to have a lot of dialogue. You're like, there's a lot of words that need to happen in here. And you've made this panel way too small. That's usually caught in thumbnails, the first stage of roughs, but that's a big one to always look for is making sure there's room for flow and everything, making sure characters are on the proper side, left to right for how they're speaking which can be fixed and tweaked sometimes by good letterers, but sometimes it absolutely can't and can really mess up a page. Trying to not call angles, trying to not be too overbearing in how you tell the story, but there is points where it's like, we're too far out here and I don't think we're establishing what we need to set up the story or we really need to see that door for the next panel and you didn't include it, but it will not make sense if that door is not there, things like that.
0: It just sounds so cinematic the way you describe it. When you're filming a movie, you want to have those little visual cues that tell you what's about to happen. So it sounds almost like that. You're giving the reader just enough that in the back of their mind, they're seeing something in the background is happening. And then they know that's where the character is going to go after that.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, so much setup in how you're describing a page. When I'm writing a scene normally in a graphic novel script, it's like the first panel. A lot of times can be like super long, like a huge block of text, but what you're doing in that is telling them everything they'll need to know in that room for when they choose a certain angle. Cause like later on, you're going to need to know that sword is in the wall or something, something that will matter at one point. I think cinematic for sure. There's a reason I think that graphic novels so easily are brought into that Hollywood world because it's such an easy way to translate. It's like storyboards. To some people, I definitely don't think it is. I think it's much, much more than that. I think there's a lot of people who view comics that way. I do not.
0: I bet there are some people who have to make little visual models and lock their characters around them. Like there's that sword again. Forgot it was on that wall.
1: Oh yeah. I know there's one book that I have, A Martian Ghost Centaur. We were in this house a lot. And there was just so many things that happened in this house. The artist had to draw out a map of the house and actually a map of the town to make sure things like made sense from placement because we really were in a lot of places that mattered next to each other.
2: (laughs) That sounds like fun world building.
1: Yeah, yeah, really fun actually.
2: I wanted to bring up, and I know I keep going back to your relationship with Sam because it's interesting to me when I think about how you met him beforehand and you guys had already decided hey we're going to work together on this story when it comes to stuff like that like finding your artist beforehand how did you go about actually doing that did you sign any contracts with him how does that process normally work when you're a person trying to work with the designer outside of say having an agent getting the book bought at acquisitions and then having somebody assigned to you and also, does well, the contract say things like, it's my book and you will draw it this way, Nanya, Like, yeah,
1: no, it, it doesn't. But I do contracts and I do now, and I didn't when I was younger because it was just like, ah, I do this. But I think absolutely you do contracts. And Sam and I signed one very basic, laying out everything. And then we made it void leading up to our agreement with Simon Schuster. Once that was clear, we made it void and started everything afresh. I think always managing expectations with people and being clear up front is only going to be good for everyone. It's, there's never anything that's bad is going to happen from explaining, this is what I feel about. Because until Sam and I signed that contract, Lumberjack, it was mine. It's just an idea that I have. So if I'm going to have this idea and have someone else make this with me, we should really make clear what we want. But the one thing that you do for sure when finding an artist is you pay them. A lot of people <laughs> don't believe this or think, oh, we're working on it together. I'm not getting paid for my part. We're just doing five pages or They're just doing a little bit. So we work up together, but pay them, pay a fair rate. They will know. If the artist doesn't know a rate, that's probably, I believe, maybe a red flag because they should have rates and should know that if they're going to be working in this industry. But I certainly wouldn't recommend funding a whole book yourself because it could get really expensive. But if you can swing it, paying for samples is very important. (laughs) And use those samples for submission. So back in the day, I know it's changing all the time, but when I was first pitching Lumberjacula, We were going around with just five pages of finished art and that was it. And I actually didn't even have a script. I didn't have a script at all. We had five pages of finished art and my synopsis and that's what we sold it on, which is nuts to think of now because already they are not asking for that anymore. It's a lot more that's wanted, but I think it helped that I had made some comics before. So there was an understanding that I knew how to, but yeah.
0: Well, and it's interesting, too, because going back, you can put as much as you want into the contract. But even if you say, if you're like referring back to 6G, you promised to step inside my head and create it on the page, and you, (laughs) sir, did not. (laughs) So no matter how clear your language is, there's only so much you can control.
1: For sure. And as I'm learning in time, there's only so much that contracts actually do. But it is an agreement. and It is an understanding, especially when informal like that. It's just an understanding of our expectations. I am a firm believer that artists should get more of the advance when starting off a book. It takes them so much longer. In the time that Sam is doing one book, I can do five. I could do a lot more. It takes me maybe four months to write a book. It takes Sam two years and he's good and fast, but these books take a long time. So I think that that's really just important to understand when working in comics.
0: Can you tell us a story of a time that you felt inspired and went with it and it worked out?
1: Yeah. Lumberjacula. Every book that I've done, many of them haven't worked out, but I've learned from them and that worked out for me. And I've taken pieces from them But I'm like a really happy, positive person. I'm very lucky in that. I see many people around me who struggle with not being that. And I'm grateful that I can take joy from it. But I couldn't not make books. I couldn't not play guitar. I couldn't not do things. So I just think of it as it's just going to happen. I'm going to make this idea and I'll see it through no matter what. But I'd say that Lumberjackula so far is definitely the most positive experience. Uh, The early response is very different from what I've had before on other books. And it's been wonderful.
0: So you're about to have a book launch. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I'm thrilled. I'm so excited. People are already getting books. My comps got mailed to the wrong place, to my old address. So I went to my local bookstore and was able to buy a copy. They were really nice. They had copies and let me get them. So I've seen the real book now, which is amazing and so cool to hold. But we're going to have a big party at the local library, and it's going to be the library and a local bookstore are together and we're going to have dancing and flapjacks and blood orange juice and I'm going to do comics lessons with kids and I guess people are going to dress up so that sounds fun too but it's been really cool and like a little bit dizzying this exact moment it feels a little dizzying because I have both kids home for the summer and there's just life happening too and there's a lot right now like I want to get everything out there but what I'm realizing more than anything is I could tweet a million times about it It's going to move the needle this much. What I'm learning more than anything is just to enjoy what's happening around. So just yesterday, Sam and I started a hashtag of like draw lumberjackula in your style. And that's been a really positive form of promotion where it's just, oh man, this is so great. Like someone made a Lego version of him and just seeing other people's interpretations of the character is a lot more fun than like, hey, buy my book, please buy my book. (laughs) Also, one thing I swear by is social media is great. Email is better. Like directly emailing bookstores, not spam, like thoughtful emails to these people and to these accounts that maybe you have a connection to your school that you had a connection to, I feel like that has resulted in more positive things for my books than anything I've done on social media.
2: Absolutely. You have to leverage what you have. And sometimes a lot of people, they forget all of the connections that they actually have because a lot of the world is, you have to be on every social media. So, so, I was like, no, actually, I can't do that. I'm tired thinking about it. I already want to go back to bed and I just got up type situation. So it's good that you have realize that you do have networks that you can utilize and you can reach out to bookstores and and you can reach out to libraries and you can reach out to all these places who would love to know more about your book, especially because you had some kind of connection. And that can always be a good thing, especially if you're interested in perhaps doing like a tour and you can go to different libraries, especially the ones that you've already reached out to. So I think that's really awesome that you leverage that.
0: Yeah, thank you. And it sounds really fun, too. I was thinking you might have like jelly donuts or fake blood packets or little fake trees to chop down, but yours sounds much more (laughs) kid-friendly.
1: That all sounds fun, too.
0: (laughs) So what advice do you have for writers and creatives out there?
1: Enjoy small victories. Many people say the exact same things, but seriously, enjoy small victories. Don't measure yourself against anyone else because you are not on the same path. And this is one that I see happen in comics, which I don't necessarily see as much amongst prose writers, but your idea is just your idea. No one can steal your actual idea. Like someone could make a book that is about a half lumberjack, half vampire, and even one that dances. And it's not going to be the book that Sam and I write. I'm not saying that it wouldn't stink, but I am saying that there's a fear sometimes that, oh no, I made this thing. I can't share it early. I say share it. So your ideas spread it out and yeah, and make stuff because it's fun. I'm pumped for Lumberjackula to come out. I have another book that's coming out next year from Oni Press called Indoor Kid with Lisa Dubois that I'm very excited about. It's a sports fantasy book that's really silly. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great talking with y'all.
2: So Matt, where can everybody find you online?
1: So my last name is Matt Haggerty and it's H-E-A-G-E-R-T-Y and matthaggerty.com. It's also on Instagram. I'm matt.haggerty. On Twitter, I'm Matt Haggerty.
0: Matt, thank you so much. This was such a treat. And congratulations in advance. I'm sure everyone's going to have a wonderful time at your book launch.
1: Thank you so much. We are so glad that you joined us.
0: And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our First Pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with First Pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.